What do you love about being outside and active? I'm, I'm sure I've spent more time outdoors than in. That just feels like home. Enjoy what you can do because you never know what is around the corner. Just being outdoors in the fresh air, it just clears my mind. Fully immersed in nature is what brings me the most joy. My name is Dominic Brown and you're listening to the Outside and Active podcast where this week our guest is Sarah Stevenson. Sarah is a four-time Olympian, three-time world champion, bronze Olympic medalist and a trailblazer in the sport of Taekwondo. Alongside being incredibly talented at Taekwondo, she's also had to battle and struggle against some real difficulties and hurdles in life that we go on to talk about in this podcast. I say this in the podcast, but I think the way that Sarah talks about mental resilience and mental health is extremely refreshing and I'm really, really happy that she came on as a guest in this podcast and I'm looking forward to you listening to it. Thank you to the two sponsors of this week's episode, Festival of Sport and Dry Robe. We'll go on to talk a little bit more about both of these later in the podcast, but for now, let's join the conversation with Sarah Stevenson. Hello and welcome back to the Outside and Active podcast, where today I'm very happy to be joined by Sarah. Sarah, hello, how are you doing? Hi, I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm good, I'm good. We were just talking about it being early on a Monday, and it's probably not the best time to record a podcast because it's early on a Monday, But <laughs> and, and the fact that it's sunny outside uh, and we're inside, but we're going to be talking about all things active-based. And I want to kick off the episode by offering you a piece of advice and the piece of advice doesn't come from me it's become it's come from someone who's been on the podcast recently and this piece of advice comes from Tony Suter who is the founder of the Ellie Suter Foundation which supports young athletes in the snow sport industry and his piece of advice was to make sure to give ourselves time as well as giving time to other people so it's all about it what he his the way that he said it was that the people coming onto your podcast and be guests on the podcast are definitely very active and very busy, lead very busy lives, but need to make sure that they find time for themselves. So what, what do you like at trying to find time in what I imagine is a very busy schedule for yourself? Um, it's well, it's a great piece of advice. Um, and I do a little bit of public speaking um, and I kind of always finish with something like that as well. Um, especially to people in the corporate world, they're the the worst at making time for themselves. You know, they're so busy and trying to make millions and and keep the business of the flow. I think they're the worst at it from my experience. And that that piece of advice always goes down really well. And you can see them all looking in the air thinking, yeah, I really need to do that. Um, But I do do that. I try to. um, And I know when I've not done it as well, I know you know, come the end of the week, if I've not done anything for me, for my family, um, or took that time to really be present and engage with what I'm doing, it does affect me, like, mentally. Mm. Um, So things I like to do is keeping fit, keeping healthy. Um, So that could be going to the gym. It could be going for a walk, Um, especially in this sunshine. It's just so much nicer, isn't it, for your mental health? It makes you just smile, doesn't it? Absolutely. yeah, yeah, that's pretty much what I like to do for me is just walking, training. Well, my, um, my next question yeah. leads leads on quite nicely from that. And it's a question that we ask to everyone as well. What do you love about being outside and active? Um, I just love the time alone. 
Um, when I sometimes if I go for a walk and I'm outside, I will be like, right, I really want to do like a certain amount of time or a certain amount of kilometers. But most of the time, it's just let's just get out. Let's just go and have that time for me, that time, you know, with the trees and, and with the air and with the sunshine. Um, I just love that time alone, that time for me. And it, and it could just be 20 minutes, it, but it's something. And I think, as you said, we're so busy and everyone has excuses. You know, I've not got the time. I'm like, well, you have. You've probably got 20 minutes somewhere at a bare minimum to go for a walk, to get outside. And that is going to have massive benefits for you, you know. Have you always been active from a young age? I mean, tell me about growing up in Don- Doncaster, isn't it? Thanks. Lovely Doncaster, yes. <laughs> um, well, there's not a lot of nice outdoor things where I grew up, I'll be honest. It's a lot better up in Liverpool. Um, but yeah, always really. Um, I started Taekwondo when I was about seven years old. And I think in a school, in a, a town that's not, you know, that doesn't offer a lot of um, opportunities really in, in any in anything really when I was growing up um so I just did taekwondo that was it that was all I ever did I didn't do anything else I probably specialized way too early um you know I know that's one of the things a lot of people talk about is trying different sports but there wasn't any that 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 was it for me you know locally for me was just taekwondo and I did that from seven years old and that's all I've ever done um yeah, so physically, and I was good at everything, you know, I enjoyed sport, I was good at, you know, all the stuff at school, um, the only thing I didn't like was football, hated football. <laughs> interesting. <laughs> I, I, Other than that, I was all right. I mean, I find it interesting, I mean, I've, I've we've spoken to lots of different athletes and um, specialists, industry specialists on this podcast, but never anyone in a sport quite like Taekwondo, because I, I say that because it's not maybe the typical you know, running and football, rugby, cricket that you might naturally be pushed into at a younger age. What was it? Where did the door open to Taekwondo for you? It's an interesting question because who would have thought Doncaster would have been probably the, the mecca of Taekwondo in this country <laughs> at that time. And it was there on my doorstep. So I think we were very lucky um, because a lot of, Taekwondo athletes now still come from Doncaster. I think it was some sort of masters from many, many moons ago kind of settled there and then that just kind of spread it out and in that area. So I think it was just a town that I lived in that I was lucky enough to kind of be a massive, um, an amazing club that I went to, the best club in the country. I didn't know that. It was just the one yeah. closest to me. You know, who knows? You just rock up at your local club and you just... You, you don't know that you're in the best club in the country. So lucky in that respect. Um, and I forgot the question now, but I'm just going to carry on. <laughs> well, well, um, well, on Taekwondo, explain a bit more for people that don't know about the sport, about it yeah. and maybe what separates it from other sports <laughs> in a similar category. What, what I might do with that question actually is really is maybe talk about, I suppose me as a person growing yeah. up, I was quite shy believe it or not. Um, I was quite a shy girl um, and I got kind of thrust into Taekwondo when my brother did it. My mum and dad got a bit of a social life, so it's like, you're doing it as well, so they can 
have a babysitter for a couple of hours. I think that's what it was at some point. And I kind of felt like I didn't really have much of a choice. Um, and I was all right with that. I was all right with that at the time. Um, and I think Taekwondo gave me, it gave me like a team. It gave me a place where I could, I suppose, um, express myself where I wouldn't do at school or outside. I was quite shy and introvert. But in Taekwondo, you can't be shy and introvert mm. because someone's trying to kick you in the face or yeah. <laughs> you, you get taught to make noises and, and kick things really hard and shout and, and things. So, you know, you've got to do that in the in the, in the the club. And I think it gave me the kind of that outlet and it gave me that confidence and, it, and I suppose it, it made me who I am. And I, and I think as well, if you could be lucky enough to have an incredible coach and role model at the club that you're in um, because that they can make you or break you. Um, many club coaches get it right. Many club coaches don't. And I think that all the stars align really for me. Yeah. Um, and, and having that club coach and great parents and an amazing club just kind of set me up for life really. So it had a tremendous impact on your character and your personality, but it, you were also, well, had a great talent for it. When was there a point that you realised or people around you realised that you had a talent for this or was it something that happened gradually? It definitely happened gradually. I wasn't the most blessed. I didn't make, I didn't make Taekwondo look pretty. I wasn't the most elegant <laughs> Taekwondo athlete. Um, but what I did have was like guts and I, I did what I was told and I... And I and I mean that in the in the best way. Yep. You know, my coach said, "Do this." I did it because I had that much respect for him, and my parents had that much respect for him. We did everything that he asked of us. You know, um, and and you know what? I think growing up, they my coach must have known that I had something special, but he never told me that. And I think that's good. I, yeah. I really think that's good. I think my feet were always firmly on the ground. Um, I won the Junior World Championship when I was 15, and that was the first time anyone had ever done that. Um, and then I won the Senior World Championships when I was 18, and again, I was the first person to ever do that. Um, and even then, I'd go back to my club, say hi to the kids, show a medal off, and my coach would be like, right, get running then, what do you think you're doing? <laughs> you're not above anyone here, you know, crack on. And I just think that that keeping you grounded, you know, was the best thing. And, and, I'm, and I'm still like that. I should, don't think you should ever be above your station, but you've got to find that balance of knowing how good you are, knowing how, you know, how hard it is for someone to stand in front of you and try and beat you, mm. but not knowing that you're going to win, not assuming you're going to win either. And I think that that was kind of built into me from a young age. Yeah, you didn't rest on your laurels. You were continually Definitely. trying to impress. Oh, oh God, no. I, honestly, if I ever... I could tell you so many stories, but I think some, you know, when you're a teenager and you push the boundaries, don't you? Yeah. And you like, I remember coming back from um, the Olympics, I think. I went to the Olympics when I was 17 years old. And I remember coming back to my club and saying to my coach, oh, I don't need to do that. You know, I'm not, I'm not doing that the same as everyone else. And he, I mean, you can't do this nowadays, but um, he literally said, right, let's go. He put me in his car. We drove for five kilometres. And he said, right, get out, you're running home. Don't ever think that you're you're not doing the same as everyone else, that you're not, you know. And, and I think, oh, my God. You know, when you look, obviously now it's different. You know, now you'd have to get written consent from parents and this and that. But 
my parents had a great relationship with my coach and they said no too right sort her out she should never get above a station and I remember having to run back absolutely bricking it thinking if I stop he's going to see me you know and that was the first time I'd ever run five kilometres in my life I was absolutely dieting but I never ever tried to get above my station ever again (laughs) I'm just going to take a little break in this conversation to talk to you a little bit about our first sponsor, Festival of Sport. Try something new this summer at Festival of Sport, taking place on the 11th to the 14th of August. Keen to get your kids into sport, but still trying to work out which one. This August, Festival of Sport gives 5 to 17-year-olds the chance to try over 20 sports in a single weekend. From American football to archery, kayaking to climbing and trampolining to boxing, It's all happening at the beautiful Holcomb Park in North Norfolk. What's more, all sessions are led by sports pros, including Olympians, world champions and gold medalists. For the full family festival vibe, there's also live music and entertainment, a wellness zone, a packed international street food village and camping and glamping on site. Festival of Sport is on from the 11th to the 14th of August 2023 and tickets are available now at festivalofsportuk.com. So how does a introverted young girl go from picking up Taekwondo and, you know, starting to see that character change and that progression in terms of quality to then being at the Olympic Games in Sydney in 2000? How did that sort of transpire over time? I think time is what it takes. I think... Um, you can't, you know, everyone says, oh, you know, everyone tells young people like you need some confidence. Oh, well, how do you, how do you expect me to get that then? Have you just got a magic bag of it that you can just give me or is it a special tablet or something? Is it, it's, it's confidence is something that takes time to get. And it's, it's not a click of the fingers and assume that a young person is going to have it. And even me going to the Olympics, how is a 17 year old girl from Doncaster who's, First Olympics was the actual first time Taekwondo was in the Olympics. So I never met another Taekwondo Olympian. So I, I was first wow. one. So how am I how am I supposed to be confident for that? You know, and we didn't have support, we didn't have um money, we weren't a full-time program. Um I was still at, you know, college, um, trying to train when I could. With we had two athletes, two staff, that was literally our our Olympic team. Um so confidence in that situation is probably quite hard. Um, confidence comes from the journey. It comes from, you know, that experience at that Olympics. It was an amazing experience. Um, I, I came really close to getting a medal. I actually should have, if I hadn't had more confidence, I probably would have got a medal. It was literally, you know, one kick would have done, the, done it. But yeah. I was 17. I was a baby. And all those things taken into context that, you know, this massive thing, I'd never even known what to expect at an Olympic Games. Never met an Olympian before. So it's the journey, isn't it? And then you go, right, I'm not letting that happen again. And then the next year and the next year. And, the, and it just kind of builds to a point where, you know, you grow, the sport grows. And uh, with with that comes money. With that become, yeah. comes um psych support, physios, doctors, all that kind of stuff where you can learn, you know, that mindset. Um, and that was massive for me, you know, to, as I said before, to get to that point where 
you know how good you are and you know that you're going to have to fight pretty bad to lose or that person's going to have to proper bring their A-star game to try and beat you. And that's kind of where I got to, where it's like, if I thought, God, I knew I was going to win, but I also knew that there was someone trying to beat me as well. So we never kind of come too complacent. It's that fine line, I think, of confidence. It's just time and the journey. So two questions picking up on what you just said from before and after that experience going mm. into it then like you said it's a, it's a new sport in the olympics there's a small team of you do you feel like that adds more pressure or takes pressure away from that situation because you know it's the first time anything anything is any experience is positive or is it thinking oh no i have to make a mark here and then afterwards narrowly missing out on a medal are you thinking well that was a great experience i'm only 17 i can build on that or was it or oh, i i may have missed an opportunity yeah all of that, all of it, I think, you know, um, I definitely put a lot of pressure on myself. Um, I think because, again, we were going to the Olympics. It was the first one. You know, I was junior world champion and I'd just qualified for the Olympics. So it was kind of a bit of a upward journey. And I, and I assumed that everyone was like, Sarah's going to win. I mean, we were just get we put pressure on ourselves by assuming what other people think. We're actually... People just want us to be happy and they want us to do our best. That's it. You know, and if they don't, then who cares? They're not in your life anyway. Leave them, you know. So, but again, that takes time to get to that point where you you, you take that pressure off yourself. But I definitely felt pressure. I put a lot of pressure on myself. Um, and then again, because I wanted to win so much, that's why I lost because I didn't, I didn't have the right plan in place. I didn't, you know, I was too like focused on winning I forgot what to do in the ring. I forgot what my plan was. And and rather than focusing on what I need to do round by round, I was trying to think, oh, everyone wants me to win. I'm this Sarah Stevenson up and coming young person. I've got to win. And that's what I was focusing on because I didn't know any different and we didn't know any different. So yeah, the, the pressure was, wasn't really there from myself. Um, and then obviously when I lost and I come so close, uh, ridiculously close. You couldn't have got any closer to mm. even getting a, to getting into the final. I would have got a silver at the minimum. And I just froze because I think I didn't know how to handle that, you know? Um, and that took a long time, I think, to kind of get over that. Um, again, everything in the, in life for me, time is a healer and it just take it just takes time to know how to make sure that you don't feel like that again. I find um, I find that really interesting. You talking about having you know having a plan, but it, it changes. Other things crop up mentally when you're actually in that situation. I just want to tap into that. It's like you obviously you will prepare for an opponent for a for for a match, but when it actually comes to it, other things creep in and the emotion maybe takes place. So how try and explain to people listening how that how that crops up. I mean, before I knew how to handle that kind of mental uh, balance, yeah, you know, you, you're trying to do it yourself, aren't you, with no support, no guidance. And, you know, uh, for me at that 17 and even the next Olympics was very similar. Um, I've got to win because everyone's looking at me. And then, you know, then you've got someone in front of you that it's two, you're two nil down and you're like, right, what am I going to do now to get these points back? And, and it's and it's a very reactive, I think, mindset really, because um, obviously you are in a 
a combat sport and you can't actually control what the person's going to do in front of you. But what I wasn't doing very good was actually knowing myself. I wasn't knowing, I didn't know my strengths or how I start a match no matter what and how I try and control a match, you know, and you're able then to react a little bit better to what that person does if you know your strengths. Um, And I never knew that. I didn't even know that was a thing at that time. And it probably took me to, I think, my third Olympics to um, really understand that, you know. I'm just jumping in here to tell you about the second sponsor of today's episode, Gyrobe. Gyrobe have been supporting us for a long time and it's great to have them back. Gyrobe is the original outdoor changing robe designed to help you get active outside whatever the weather. A bit like having your own portable changing room, the oversized design of the Gyrobe Advance gives you plenty of space to get changed in and out of a wetsuit or sports kit, but is versatile enough to be worn as a coat or jacket. Made from 100% recycled fabrics, the waterproof and windproof outer protects you from the elements, whilst its super warm inner lining helps you to dry off quickly after getting out of the water. What people really love about the Dry Robe Advance, though, is its versatility. It's perfect for a huge range of outdoor activities, including surfing, wild swimming, triathlon, paddleboarding, mountain biking, camping, and even just walking your dog in the torrential rain. To find out more, head to dryrobe.com. And again, trying to tap into that mindset. I mean, there's a period between a long period between 2000 and 2008 where you're winning medals in Europe and the world championships, but maybe not finding the same success at the Olympic Mm -hmm. Games. Was it that extra pressure that maybe you put on yourself? I definitely, Athens was probably the worst competition of my life um, because I did so well in Sydney. I was world champion um European champion probably at that point a couple of times over um and again I did the same thing really when I was like right come on we've got to win don't go home embarrassing yourself mm. you know this is and, and it was just stupid you know absolutely and, and it, to be honest even as a team we weren't very good we were not good at all I think we did a lot of things wrong not just me individually as the team we were a very young um minority sport with little money so we were all just winging it a little bit. And I think even, you know, we've got the same PD now who's done things so much different and so much better. And if you look at the success we've had since Beijing and onwards, we've absolutely smashed it because we've all had to learn and had to grow. Um, it's just a bit crap when it's you that's the one that is kind of the guinea pig, you know. <laughs> but it, it makes you who you are and I wouldn't, I wouldn't change it, you know. Um, it just support and... Um, Money in the sport helps because you can buy the services that you need. And that's what kind of, for me, was like the the change going to Beijing was like the first time I thought, right, I'm going to enjoy this Olympics. I'm going to smile. It is what it is, but I know what I'm doing. I know my strengths. I know my plan. I know how to get in the zone. So I knew so much more about my mind, how I can control myself and my mind. And that was the the... I was like never been in such great shape mentally or physically going into Beijing. And, and Beijing was where that, that medal came, but it seemed to be under extraordinary circumstances and, and, thing, and things happened. Tell me a bit more about what happened at Beijing. Oh, it's like the story of my life, isn't it? There's nothing <laughs> ever just simple. I do all the hard work and everyone, 
you know, that gets gets all the lessons and the, well, don't do that again, what Sarah did. Um, <laughs> it's always great when, it's that, when it goes that oh, way, no, isn't it? <laughs> it's always going to be someone, hasn't it? Um, yeah, so we obviously, before Beijing, we had, you know, an increase in funding. We had psych support. We got to work with the incredible um, Dr. Steve Peters and the chip management team. And it was like this whole kind of worms was open for me, like, whoa, this is how you control all these negative thoughts I didn't even know you could do that and it was like absolutely mind-blowing to learn about the brain how it works why it works what's helpful what's not and I suppose that might be another podcast but um (laughs) knowing how to kind of I suppose get rid of all the negativity in a way that makes you just so tunnel visioned to actually be able to compete and think about what you need to do in that moment um was amazing um and it was absolutely changed my life and that was and I also wanted to enjoy and smile for a change rather than having putting all this pressure on myself and that's what I did my my parents and my family thought something was wrong because I was smiling I I didn't look like I was absolutely crapping myself I was like (laughs) smiling and eating and drinking and and enjoying the the journey because you've got to haven't you it's a bloody Olympics isn't it you've got to enjoy it you know and it's the third one um so I won my first fight, again, like amazing, felt like absolutely on fire. And then I was going in for the second fight against China. So this girl had won the Olympics twice. Um, so she'd won Sydney, Athens, and then this was going for a third one. Um, and I'd beaten her before. So when I won the Wales, I beat her. And I just, you know, again, always speak about that confidence. I knew that I was that that. I was going to win. I knew, and I never really had that much confidence before, but I knew because I'd watched her fight, I'd, I thought, I'm better than her today. She's not even, doesn't even look like she looks She looks a bit injured. She doesn't really look like she wants to be there. Her body language was really completely opposite to mine. Um, and, yeah, just the whole fight was, I, I felt like I could have done anything and I would never have, would have won that fight. Um, it was very corrupt, um, the referees scored the points at that time. There was, was an electronic scoring, so my fate was in other humans' hands, really. Mm. Um, and they didn't score my points. Um, and when I do my public speaking, I show the video of me kicking the girl in the face and everything, like literally all around the ring for like three rounds. And I think she kicked like once, got two points, one point, sorry, and, and won. It, and it was just absolutely heartbreaking um to feel like that to feel like I knew that I won and I should have won and for someone to take that away from you is probably the worst that was like the worst moment of my life like absolutely which is staffed because it is just sport and it is just taekwondo and but it what that was my life that was the worst thing at that point that had ever happened to me um and we everyone was very angry I want to go home, probably never want to do Taekwondo ever again. Because how can you if, if you can't trust the people that are supposed to do their say, job? You must lose complete um, trust in that in yeah, that system. Absolutely lost faith in, in the sport, um, in the people that I'm supposed to trust. Um, and we, my team put a protest in um, to which they did overturn the decision. Um, I didn't know this at the time. The only thing I knew is I got told, right, you've got five minutes, you're on now. And I'm like, what? 
Uh, you know from feeling like the worst day of my life to never wanting to do taekwondo again to literally wanting to go home and curl up in a ball for someone to tell you that right you're on in five minutes in an olympic semi-final um i don't think any psych in the world could have helped in that situation and it was hard to get ready for that next fight and it i wasn't focused um the crowd were booing me the crowd were just cheering for the Mexican girl. So everyone in that arena felt like hated me. And I could hear it as well. When you're in the zone, you don't hear it, but I could hear everything. So it was a really tough match. Um, obviously, I didn't win. Absolutely busted my ankle at the same time. Um, the girl that beat me went on to win. Um, <laughs> so it was, a, it was a tough situation to be in, but I kind of needed to flick that switch and get to some sort of mental strength for the next match because I needed to just go home with a medal. I thought there's not... I kind of went into Sarah Doncaster, Sarah, and just thought, yeah. listen, I need to get this bloody medal now because this, mm. like, sort yourself out. No psych. I didn't need a psych. I just needed a good slap and to say, right, come on now. This has been a really tough day. Let's go and get that medal. Um, and with a... I had to have an injection in my ankle, so I couldn't actually feel my right foot. Um, so I could only do a couple of things, but I was so determined to go home with the medal. It's not the one I wanted. I got it in the end. It's not what I wanted. It's not what I deserved. But, you know, it's a journey and we learn from it. And Taekwondo's learned from it. We now have, you know, electronic body armors, head guards. That takes a lot of kind of um, the human errors away and corruption away. Yeah. So after that match, a lot changed for Taekwondo, really, for, for everybody else, which was good. Um, and, and again, it hurt so much. It did. And it, it took a long time to be proud of that medal. It's nice. It's amazing to say that I was the first t- person to get an Olympic medal for my sport. That's such a proud thing. Yeah. And it could have been any colour. So it still would have been that. But it's just a shame it happened like that. But, you know, I'm proud of it. I'm very proud of myself for getting through that, um, you know, and, and yeah, it's just the journey, isn't it? And that's the situation. Like you said, no psych in that at that time would have been able to help because you've gone from, well, the, the previous, that of that of um, beating the Chinese girl and being so, well, you know, going into that, being so confident, so ready, yeah. so like, yeah, I'm going to win this. I know where she's not 100%, I'm 100%, feeling like you've won it to then the distraught feeling of, hold on, no, they've taken this away from me, wanting to go home, wanting to quit, to then having to prepare yourself for an, for a, prepare yeah. yourself again in front of a, an audience that will have been very angry and you can't <laughs> shut that out. And then go again to try and win the medal. I mean, it's an extraordinary sort of roller coaster of emotions. But I mean, I was going to ask the question about can you then appreciate that bronze medal? And you yeah. answered there, you can over time. But obviously, I imagine there was that bitter feeling in the immediacy. It hurt so much, like really hurt, you know, because, and also, you don't want to be that person to say, listen, I was cheated, you know. I should have won a gold because everyone's going to, there's so many athletes that are going to go home and go, you know what, if I'd have just put my left foot there or my right foot there, I'd have won gold, you know, and everyone would be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you don't want to be that person to to say that, but like it probably would have been gold for me. Like absolutely. Yeah. If 
if that didn't happen, you know. And and do you know what? It might not have been, but at least that semi-final would have been in a cracking fight and I would have been prouder of the bronze, if that makes sense, because I know that I've, it was in my hands, you know, and not in anyone else's. Um, but it just takes time. It absolutely takes time. And the more you talk about it, the easier it becomes. So, you know, when I do it again, when I do my public speaking, I tell this story yeah. and everyone's so proud and happy. And, you know, for, for people that are not Olympic athletes, you know, when you tell them your story, they, they, they appreciate it. They're proud of you. And it's nice to be able to share that with them and to share with them, you know, what mentally you have to go through to achieve something, even if it's not what you want. So we don't, we can't always assume we're going to win and get the, the outcome we want, but it's about giving everything that you can. That, that's this the journey, isn't it? And I keep saying that word. I'm going to stop saying it now. <laughs> I, like it. I like it. If if I can move, move us forward to 2011 became world champion again, but the year leading up to that presented you with some unbelievable yeah. human challenges. Um, tell me a bit about what happened in that period of time and how that affected not only your ability in Taekwondo, but also your mental well-being. Yeah, so uh, it's crazy to think that, you know, that the day that I got a bronze medal was the worst day of my life up until 2011. Um, it kind of put puts that into perspective, really. Um, so 2011 was the year before the Olympics, the year that you've got to put your stamp and your name in the weight group that you want to go in. Um, so heading to the World Championships was a massive um, massive opportunity. If I did well at the World, pretty much going to guarantee that I go to the Olympics the year later. Um, but I had like such, God, devastating news in the January um, 2011, um, my mum got rushed into hospital and my we didn't know what was going on, but my dad phoned me um, and it's probably the a phone call and I, that I'll never forget. Like, you know exactly where you are. You know exactly the words that he said. Um, and it probably haunted me for the rest of my life. But my dad said to me, your mum's got cancer. It's everywhere and there's nothing they can do. And... That is like someone just hitting you with a brick. It was like someone just like took my legs away from me. It was the most surreal moment. Um, and I, I, don't, I wouldn't wish that on anyone because you just assume that, you know, you've been the Olympics, you've got this medal, everyone wants a piece of you. you, you know, you're getting lots of nice things in life, lots of nice events, dinner parties, you know, whatever, you know, as an Olympic athlete with the medal. And then that happens and it just all becomes irrelevant really but you just start to feel like you're untouchable I think in some ways you know that this kind of thing doesn't happen to you but it but it does it can happen to anyone um and you know trying to manage training trying to manage um looking after mum was really difficult like the hardest thing I ever ever had to do and then in April my dad got rushed into hospital um and we just thought it was stress because obviously he's trying to look after my mom yeah. and everything like that. Um, and then we got results back from a scan from him and he got diagnosed with a stage four brain tumour. 
like three months after my mum, who had lymphoma, like cancer of the blood. Um, my mum had a bit of a fighting chance. My dad got told 12 months, 18 months. And this was, I I think, three, four weeks before the World Championships. Both my parents had cancer. Like, what do you do? Yeah. <laughs> you know, what, what, what are you supposed to do in that moment? And also, like, the first thing my mum and dad said to me was, you have to go to the Worlds and we'll be there at the Olympics with you. Um, and I think it's... I am a parent now and I probably would have said the same thing, like go, just go. Yeah. But what sport teaches you is a lot of kind of um, ownership, self-management, time management. And I decided to look after them, not all by myself, but I was the head of everything. So whilst also trying to, I suppose, manage my team in Manchester for my for me going the world, I was also managing their hospital schedules, chemo, radiotherapy, hospital visits, who's doing what day, who's doing what time, who's taking dad, who's visiting mum. Because it was a very, very logistical, it was a logistical nightmare. And then also, you know, I needed training plans. If I wasn't in Manchester and I was in Doncaster or Sheffield at the hospital, where am I going to fit all these training sessions on so I can go to the worlds and win the worlds and qualify for the Olympics pretty much. So if you can like get your head around that, mm. um, I don't know if anyone, if you can really, you know. It's, um, it's such but, a physical and mental, physically and mentally taxing thing to be happening at the same time as, again, you, in an ideal world, you're solely focused on these world championships leading then into the Olympics, but obviously perspective comes into it, I imagine, at this point. Yeah, definitely. Oh, God, that perspective was the biggest thing, the best thing that ever happened to me, or one of anyway, at least. Um, it was just like, I had to keep putting everything into perspective. And I think me going to the world was hard enough to leave them, but I did um, because I knew I had to go um, and, and try and qualify because I knew that's there was no point just giving up. Um and yeah, the perspective was massive um, because whatever I was going through, however hard I thought this training was and this logistical kind of nightmare going on, was it wasn't cancer, was it? It mm. wasn't. I, I'm not think, fearing that I'm going to die. So, so shut, shut up, like get on with it. Um, and that's what kept me going, really. Um, and and I think just thinking about all these plans, it it, it did help and. When I fought in that World Championships, I, I never felt the way that I felt. I felt so, like, untouchable because I thought, well, if I lose, so what? Like, it, it, you know, a lot of athletes and humans, we want to win. We don't, we have that fear of losing, which is good in some ways. Um, but I didn't care. I did not care if I lost. I did not care if someone hit me in the face and knocked me out. I couldn't care less. But that didn't, that did not mean I didn't want to do the same back to them. Like I was so angry as yeah. well from everything that was going on. I imagine. I was just there, like I felt untouchable. I felt like no one could hurt me. No one could touch me because I didn't care, you know. And to win that World Championships under those circumstances was like one of the most emotional 
times in my life. And even then, Dominic, like no one had ever won the Worlds before. I was still the only person to win a Worlds. And that, mm. and this Worlds was 10 years later. Wow. So I'd won it twice with, and no one else had won it before me. And I'd managed to do it again with all that going on. Sometimes I, I just think, how did you do that? That's absolutely ridiculous. But it just shows you, doesn't it? Like, we are incredible. Like, when our backs are against the wall, if you choose to fight, we can do some amazing things, you know? We, and if you choose to bury your head in the sand, you're not going to learn anything from that. You just, you've just you always got to choose to fight. And I, That really shows me or tells me, the, hearing that, the power of the mind, the, mm. the, how you know, physically we're capable of such a lot, but that it's, you cannot undervalue mentally what actually you can push yourself through. And I feel like, again, listening to you say that there's nothing in sport that seems to be more dangerous than an athlete, a team or whatever that's, that's fighting hard with nothing to lose. Because like you said, you just didn't care. You were just going to, you didn't care if you were going to get hit or where or whatever. I was going to hit that person back twice as hard and, I was just going to go for it. Like you said, if I lost, then life, the unit, you know, whatever was happening yeah. was far more important. Would, retrospectively, looking back, would you consider that to be your greatest achievement in the sport? Um, because really of everything around like it. I, I felt at the time that I'd just done my job. Right. Um, and, and I'd gone, right, I'm doing Olympics. Let's go home and be be at home and, and be the daughter that they need me to be. Um, but I suppose, yeah, if, if you look at it, it, it probably was, I would imagine. Yeah, it probably was, wasn't it? You know, to go through what I was going through to manage, you know, two kind of teams, home team and, and Taekwondo team and, and to get everyone to buy into what you're trying to do. Um, I'm really proud of that, you know, um, and the power of kind of, teamwork and people wanting to work for you because they believe in you and and they believe that you're a good person and want to work with you and all that. Yeah. And and to actually win um, was amazing. So yeah, let's say that. (laughs) And then the, I I guess the time period between winning that world championships and the experience, well, going towards London, 2020, uh, 2012, that time period, I imagine as well was, just as difficult. Yeah, I mean, probably more so, really. Yeah. So, yeah, after the Worlds, I only got another, I think, two, three months with my dad till he lost his battle yeah. with cancer, um, which obviously was devastating. Um, uh, but my mum was still had cancer and was still trying to fight. So it's, yeah, it's a surreal thing, you know, to go through, really. It's absolutely crazy. And I know I'm probably not the only one to have gone through what I went through. And to, I mean, three months after that, I lost my mum as well. So it's mad. So January, everything was perfect. October, I'd won a world championships and lost both parents. Wow. Like, just... With, it felt like someone just flicked a switch and that's it, it's happened. Crazy how it happened. And and then obviously after that, it's like, right, I'm still going to go to the Olympics with all this grief, with all this, 
I don't even know how to explain it. I think it's the most horrible situation you could ever be in. Yeah. But I think the Olympics kept me going because um, there's not a chance I was ever going to not try and be there. I had to be there. I had to try. I mean, what what's the point in sitting at home crying? Because, you know, grief lasts a lifetime. Um, and I've got all the time after the Olympics to to grieve, I suppose, and to be a bit of a mess. And I think when something like that happens, you do go into a, it's a roller coaster, but there's a lot of shock in there um, and you don't know how to react. So I suppose whilst you're trying to come to terms with what's happened, it gave me that time, I suppose, to try and qualify for, to get to London. Um, and I spoke about it a lot with my psych. I spoke about it all the time. And it was, I suppose, more upsetting for her than it was for me because I don't think I'd processed it. I don't think I'd accepted it yet. And I was all right with that because I thought, listen, if I'm not crying in the ball, let's just get to the Olympics and after I'll probably be a mess. And that probably, that was the case. Right. <laughs> it was it was delayed until until after what I imagine must have been quite a um, a contrasting feeling at 2012 for you having like you said you know your parents saying that they'd like to be there with you for that Mm -hmm. olympic game for them to not be there but then also i guess you were carrying them with you in that games and it's a surreal feeling of with it being a home games and uh yeah what was your emotion around that time oh it was hard it was hard i'd also um ruptured my acl my anterior cruciate ligament in january 2012 <laughs> just so you think it can't get any worse <laughs> dominic um you know when i do my talk to everyone i always feel sorry for them because they're probably thinking oh that poor girl but i'm fine you know i'm good um when yeah i mean going through that injury i've had an acl surgery before and it's one of the hardest things i've ever gone through mentally yeah. but then to be going through what I'd already gone gone through, trying to get to the Olympic, losing my parents, and then that. I, I'd, I'd done all right so far. I was kind of plodding on, but that knee injury, that, that did nearly break me, I'll be honest. That was like, the straw I can't do this. On the back yeah. of the camel. Yeah, yeah, it was like, come on, like universe, please. That was, there's no need for that. You know, help me out a little bit, you know? Um, and I think... Getting to the Olympics with all that was a massive, massive achievement, um, huge. And I'm very, very proud of myself for getting there. Um, but I, I didn't know at the time I wanted to win. I wanted to get the happy ending that yeah. everyone else wanted me to have. But it was, in a way, as soon as I stepped onto the mat, I knew that it wasn't going to happen. I just wasn't Sarah. I wasn't the same person physically or mentally I was in that world championships the year before with the injury obviously with itself it's yeah. six months after an ACL is crazy to even have made it then obviously with all the mental the, the stress the grief physically and mentally that I'd had in my body as well um it was just too much absolutely too much but you know I had an amazing family my family was there I'm so pr- happy that they all came to support me um, and we made it, we got there um, and no, you don't always get the happy ending you deserve, but I'm proud that I even give it a go. You know, I'm very proud of that. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. And, and gave, like you said, the fact that you got there after the injury alongside everything from the year before that is, 
is is an achievement in its yeah. in itself. And then was it the year after then you decided to retire? Was that a culmination of everything and injury? I mean, I would, that would have been my last Olympics anyway. Yeah. Um, I think if, if I'd have had a bit more of a happier journey um, to that Olympics, I was thinking, should I go to the World Championships and, and retire after that? Or, you know, but if I'd have got a gold at the Olympics, I probably would have gone, oh, no, you know what, I've done everything, let's leave it there. Yeah. I was ready anyway, um, but I was, I, I, I in my head and to my team, I'd, I'd, I retired the next day. I'd done right. like absolutely done. I couldn't do any more. Um, but it officially it was probably a, a around like 10 months, a year later, officially. But like I was kind of done, you know, um, and I was happy because retirement's hard. Um, but I, it was, it's retirement's easier when you, the one that, when you're the one that gets to choose when you stop as well. Yeah. I think it does make it a little bit easier. Definitely. And and since then, like you said, you've been you, you do a lot of talks around your story and and yeah. mental well-being and resilience. And I guess part of that's passing that along to the next generation of athletes as well. You know, setting up an academy to educate and train young athletes across not just Taekwondo, but a broad range of sports. How important is that to you? Yeah, I mean, I did that um set that up really in the in amongst all the other drama mm. um because we didn't have anything in place at the time um and even that that was so good for me you know I remember having to go to a weekend camp that I'd set up for the young people um in my sport um I think it was was it either in between my mum dying and having a funeral I had to go and do that and be wow. Sarah Steenson inspires and, and trying to inspire all these young people. And I wanted to not do it, but I'm so glad I did it. You know, I did go, it was hard, but those kids kind of helped me. They made me smile. They gave me a good distraction. Um, and it's nice to see now that some of those kids that I helped back then, you know, are still, you know, at the top level of, of Taekwondo. You know, we've just got a, our first ever double male world champion. So Bradley Sinden, he's just won the Worlds last year for the second time. And he came to my camps. I'm not saying I did that, I didn't do that. <laughs> obviously he had a club and he's been in the academy and everything. But yeah. just to know that, you know, I well, part was of that. there on the journey with them, you know, yeah. and hopefully inspired them in some way to to carry on with Taekwondo, you know. So your appreciation of the sport, have you how much has it changed since Sydney 2000 to where it is today, I guess, in a GB context? Wow. Well, if you imagine Sydney, we had two staff, two athletes, you know, as I would imagine in the last, how many do we have in the last Olympics? We can't always have a lot because we only have, a, we don't, we only have a certain amount of Slots. weight groups. We don't have many weight groups. Four males, four females is the max you can take. And if you do that, then that's ridiculous. You know, not many countries do that. Um, I think at the last Olympics, we had, three girls, two boys, so five athletes and probably triple the amount of staff versus athletes. Um, you know, a full-time centre in Manchester, world-class gym, um, Olympic champions, you know, multiple world champions after me. And it's nice to see. And it's, you know, I think if you can be 
a retired athlete and be proud of the next generation coming through. And that, that helps you, I think, to move on as well. And, and yeah, it's incredible to see how amazing they're doing now and to know that you had a helping hand at the start of all that is nice as well. I can imagine. Just a, a final question before I ask you for a, a piece of advice. Um, sure. How do <laughs> I know? <laughs> how do you <laughs> think your career and particularly those those extremely difficult two years, I know it's obviously longer than that, but within the context of your career, those two years have shaped you to where you are now and how that has affected you being a parent and also mm. kind of your motivations of, of what you're doing now. Well, there's a lot of positives and negatives because, you know, losing the uh, two people that gave you, that can only give you unconditional love is horrific and time again like I said is a healer time does give you chance to heal Um, and grief can take over your life if you let it and I think it did it did take over my life for a very long time Um, but there does have to come a point where you have to stop you know you don't have to stop loving them missing them smiling talking about them but at some point like in my experience there has to come a point where you have to live again and everyone's different but I've got a great husband who was like Sarah this needs to stop you know I had the kids I you know I feel like I was just a different person and I think what you go through grief does change you um but you've got to be able to be all right with that and to live your life and it just I got a bit of a slap of perspective from him and I kind of just stopped wallowing in it really and started to live a bit better and it does take time, but I'll never be the same person I was. Mm. None of us are, are we from 10 years ago, but that amount of trauma does affect you massively some ways, negatively, some ways positively. And I think the positives are that perspective. So as a parent or as a family, we really appreciate like what we've got. I appreciate the little things, you know, I appreciate the walk in the park that I had yesterday and the kids, you know, smiling and was sitting watching Avatar 2 together last night and my son, you know, shooting me with his arrows and and stuff like that and giving my my family time and love um, because I know that that could be taken away in a split second. I think that's what I've learned the most. I I just want to say how appreciative I am for you to to come on and to the podcast and talk about your career, but also you know, the, the, the tough and traumatic experiences that you've had. And I find it extremely refreshing and, and interesting about how you talk about grief and mental resilience. And I felt the same way when you were um, as part of the panel on the mental health awareness live that we, that we did it uh, last month. So thank, thank you so much. I, I really appreciate it. And I know that people listening that you know maybe going through, difficult times of their own will be able to take a lot from what you've been talking about here so thank you very much for that and well, there's I hope so. and that's that's the reason why I'm so open yeah you, you know you've got to be you've got to talk about it it's good for, to talk but if it helps one person I'm happy I, I love helping people um and I love sharing my story because I know there's other people out there that have gone through this that don't have a voice you know so it's important to talk about grief and how it affects you absolutely absolutely and there's there's one piece of uh nugget of information and advice that 
is left. Um, I mean, you've offered so much of it, but it's it's a piece of advice and it can be about anything at all um, that you would like to leave for a guest coming onto the podcast in the near future. Right, you know what? Because I know the piece of advice that was left for me was is lovely and amazing, but I'm going to go back to my proper Yorkshire roots, right? I'm going to keep it really simple. And I think I said this before, but... It is what my coach taught me when I was moaning and complaining about stupid things. And you know what? It's just sometimes you've just got to shut up and get on with it. And that is my piece of advice, Dominic. I know that's proper, like, blunt to the point. But you know what? We have to, don't we? Like, stop moaning and get on with it. I I really look forward to passing that along and and giving some context around it as well. Sarah, yeah, thank you. Yeah, give some context. Don't just say it as it is. But, you know, I, I used to write that on the wall, you know, when I was, you know, sorry, I'm going on. But when I was training for the World Championships with all that thing going, everything going on. And I thought I wrote it on a on a whiteboard, shut up and get on with it. Because that reminded me that there's someone out there going through so much more than you. What are you going to complain about? You are training for a world championship. Just shut up and do training and get there and smash it. You know, and that's that resilience sometimes that we need, isn't it? You know, let's not fluff it up sometimes. Let's just get on with it. You know, anyway, so yeah, please give context to it. <laughs> no, but that, that is important because some some people respond well to, you know, uh, they need an arm around them and some support. But yeah. actually for you, sometimes you just needed, I think you said earlier, a slap around the face to get ready for your next match yeah. and also just get, just get on with it. So I, yeah, I think that is actually also a piece of advice and a message in itself. So I look forward to passing that along. Thank <laughs> you, Sarah, so much. Pleasure. Thank you. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Outside and Active podcast with our guest, Sarah Stevenson, MBE. I hope you really enjoyed. And if you did and you think you know someone who would enjoy it just as much as you, then please forward this podcast onto them. Let's grow this Outside and Active community. We'll be back next week with another episode. And until that time, I've been Dominic Brown. Enjoy the outdoors. Enjoy the outdoors.